0: Hi, I'm Sienna, and we'll be reading from Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 48. Um, The reading will also be on the screen for you to follow along. Starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being laid down onto earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. "'Surely not, Lord,' Peter replied. "'I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean.' The voice spoke to him a second time. "'Do not call anything impure that God has made clean.' This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence but Peter made him get up. Stand up he said I am only a man myself. While while talking with him Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house, praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their believing, of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days.
1: Well, thanks, Sienna. Great reading this morning and good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and it's great to be here, as Cam said, on the second week of our four week series on mission. Our big picture as Christians, we know that God is at work in the world with a great plan of salvation and He wants us to join Him. We're invited to participate in the greatest, most diverse, most significant cause in history the building of God's kingdom. So as we kicked off our series last week, we did so by considering the spiritual needs of our city. And of course our state, our country and all of God's world are in his plans. But we just focused in on our city to grasp something of the scale of the task with some 1.2 million people who don't know Jesus. And as we saw from God's word that because of the great need, we're called to be a people praying For gifted by God evangelists, praying for more with the gift of evangelism to be raised up by God among us and for doors to be opened and the gospel to break new ground. In unison with that the Apostle Paul showed us that all Christians are to make the most of every opportunity to speak about God to people who see us living passionate and well integrated Christian lives. So that in response to Jesus' call to go to all nations and make disciples, as a people bowled over by the grace and mercy of God shown to us, we as a church are motivated and equipped to share the gospel so that we're seeing people saved as they respond to Jesus by the work of God's Spirit in repentance and faith. That's the big picture. It hasn't changed since Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Spirit to enable his church here on earth for the task. Yet as we planned out the preaching for this year, I wanted to preach this series to our church family. As I've noticed a change in our world amongst Christians uh, lately, there are some wonderful exceptions, of course, in our churches. But I would have to say, I don't think I've seen Christians more withdrawn and on the back foot when it comes to sharing the gospel than we are at present There is a lot going on in our world, Christian views are no longer seen as merely false but in the last 10 years or so have increasingly come to be seen as dangerous, particularly around issues of human sexuality. No longer is the Christian worldview worth considering to many but now the public mood is that Christians need to be silenced and Bible believing Christians kind of exiled from public life so that the rest of society can move forward. As Cam's already mentioned, one of the books I recommended reading and I'll be on the book still uh, after to talk to you about them is Being the Bad Guys and the kind of little subtitle tells you everything you need to know, it's How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. It's by a guy called Steve McAlpine, he's great, he's from Perth, he's Australian, Perth and Adelaide people kind of get each other. Um, John Anderson, our former Deputy PM said of this book, at last... A neat and accessible explanation of what's happening in our culture. And it goes part way to explaining something I've seen a lot lately that Christians, myself included, have been trying to work out. Now that we're considered the bad guys by many, how do we share the good news of Jesus with so many who consider themselves the good guys? So, for example, I've had uh, quite a few conversations with older Christians over recent years. And, you know, rock up at church on a morning like this and people say, I've been to a funeral of a friend. And I asked, is your friend uh, a follower of Jesus? And they said, no, but he was a really nice kind of moral guy. I said, did you ever have a chance to share the gospel with him? People will say, well, you know, I tried a few times but didn't want to push too hard. He hated religion but he's such a good bloke, really community hearted. Now in those kind of conversations they're not quite saying it because they know it doesn't align with the gospel but there's a discomfort shall we say on connecting the dots with the reality of heaven and hell and everyone's need for Jesus. The other week uh, for example personally I was helping one of the older guys at the RSL where our our office is. He's a great bloke, Uh, he gently ribs me about being a sky pilot which is a ex-serviceman's joke about uh, army chaplains. But I was helping with something and just as he said goodbye, he said to me, it's like a serious look came over his face. And he said, you know Matt, me and the big man, we're on good terms. We understand each other, I just don't need to come along to church each week to prove it to other people. Am I right? (laughs) Now I'm not a kind of shove it down your throat kind of evangelist, but he was asking me to affirm something that I know is not Right. I was caught off guard, my brain didn't move fast enough, and all I could say was, oh, uh, it actually doesn't work that way. <laughs> and he said, well, i will go to run, we'll have a beer sometime and chat some more. And, you know, welcome to my life. It's a running history of me thinking of good things to say about 30 seconds after a conversation has finished. But we have organised a beer, and I think something along the lines of what I'll say is, is that no one gets to decide... That they're right with God on their terms. We only get to be right with God on his terms and for that you need Jesus and we'll see where we go from there. I just give you those stories as examples because I think one of the biggest challenges we face as God's church at present is sharing the gospel with the world's good guys with us being considered the bad guys. So I chose Acts 10 today in that story, very well read by Sienna, to unpack as the Apostle Paul, Peter, sorry, shares the gospel with perhaps one of the greatest good guys that we come across in the Bible, Cornelius. Because to be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need to know who the message is for and what the message is. Pretty straightforward. And I want to keep asking myself and challenging us as a local church of God's people: do we really believe? What we believe. That for every person on the planet, even those that we live among and really admire, who we look up to in our workplace and in our street, that for them, and maybe that's you here today who wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we as a church believe that heaven and hell, salvation and judgment hang in the balance for every person that we know and love based on their willingness to come to God on his terms through his appointed saviour, Jesus. Now, it's much easier to nod along at church here onto those things on a Sunday. Much harder to really believe it face-to-face at the footy club or at the school drop-off or at university or on the job site or when you're with a family gathering with your kids and grandkids. And if you're here today checking out Jesus for the first time or thinking through church and Jesus for the first time in a long time, welcome. Uh, You coming here is the reason we start new churches like this and I hope today is one of those days where you walk out thinking, I get at least what Christians think is at stake here and I appreciate the directness of someone just cutting to the chase with me about Jesus. And that you realise it's something worthy of careful investigation and realise that we're a community that would love to do that with you. But for now, for all of us, let's get to the reading we just had and see how it challenges us on who the Gospel message is for and what the content of the Gospel message is. So it would be great to keep the story open in your Bibles as we'll move through it fairly quickly. A new story in Acts begins in chapter 10 as our kind of camera zooms in on the town of Caesarea to a Roman centurion uh, called Cornelius who in verses one to two we read like most centurions we come across in the Bible seems to be a good man to have about. He's Italian yet referred to as a God-fearer, someone drawn to Judaism and to the one true God. He's devout along with his whole household. He gives generously to others and has a pretty vibrant prayer life. And he receives a vision of an angel from God and responds immediately by doing as instructed, sending a couple of his servants and a devout soldier to Joppa to look for Peter. And while they're making the uh, 60k uh, trip, round trip, a few days, brisk walk, God gives Peter a vision, strange to us and indeed to him at first, about what kind of animals are okay for him to kill and eat, which offended his Jewish beliefs about what was okay for him to eat according to God's law and to add to the kind of catalog of inappropriate responses to Jesus uh, that Peter has and has built a pretty good resume over the years he says surely not Lord but the voice said don't call anything unpure that God has made clean and it happens three times and uh, Peter like me is often a little slow as he's uh, pondering all of this and the travellers arrive and Peter is told by the Spirit to go with them. And a day later he comes to Cornelius' house. Peter gets the whole story that the same Spirit who had spoken to him had also given Cornelius a vision to send for Peter, that this, like we see right across the book of Acts, was a Spirit-given moment, a divine intersection, as we call them. And Cornelius has gathered his whole household and even those, his close friends to hear what this Spirit-given messenger is about to say. In the context of the book of Acts, this is God, through His divine director of evangelism, the Holy Spirit, breaking new ground for the Gospel, shattering Peter's prejudices and challenging the early church. And God makes it clear to His little bit slow disciples that His message of salvation and free gift of forgiveness is for all people everywhere, as was so beautifully brought out in our kids' talk this morning. And just as a side question as we go through, I want to ask you, do you still believe that the same Spirit of God is directing the advance of the Gospel this day around the world? I had the great privilege of spending a few days with a Christian friend I knew years ago who serves at a church in the Middle East in recent months and he told me of his church which he joined in 2009, it was a hundred Christians meeting in a hotel room Uh, sort of a hotel sort of function centre in the Middle East 15 years ago and today it's a church of four and a half thousand with over a hundred nationalities present from the wealthiest in society to the poorest of people in a region, and this is why I'm being a bit vague about it, in a region where you cannot by law what they would call proselytise, asking someone to place their trust in Jesus. People from all religions and from all nations are joining them. Some of them from the most unlikely of backgrounds, who've had dreams of Jesus and just find themselves at church wanting answers and finding this place. And he said to me, Matt, growing up in a church in Australia, I believe God could do such amazing things, but I had pretty low expectations that he would. And he said, living where I live now... Seeing God at work in such powerful ways has been so good for my confidence in the power of God. Now, God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I think the Middle East is, you know, currently his favourites at the moment. Uh, And as we approach God in prayer, he's not a genie in a bottle at our call. But I share this story because I do think we could afford to be a little bit more optimistic in our evangelistic prayers for our city. Now that's an aside because I said the main reason I chose this of the many stories of Acts is that I reckon we struggle to connect the dots between what we believe about Jesus and what's presented to us in the scriptures with the good people that we know. You know, give us someone who bowls up to us, you know, my life's a mess, I've got so many regrets, I've hurt people I love, how could anyone love me? I reckon, you know, more of us would be pretty good to go. Let me tell you about Jesus. I think we struggle much more to see gospel opportunities and the gospel need with the good guys in our street. So really it's not a complicated point I'm trying to make, it's really more of a challenge to the heart. Do we see the need and do we feel the same urgency of sharing the good news of Jesus with both the couple we know who don't know Jesus, who really love their kids and who give so much of their life to the school community you might be a part of? as much as the family that are tearing themselves apart through selfishness who bring nothing but need and pain to others. Do we really feel it that the gospel of Jesus is needed as much by the guy at the footy club who's always up for a laugh, would do anything for anyone, first on the tongs on the barbie, as much as the guy you know who beats his wife? To be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need a heart conviction, not just a head one, that all people everywhere, both those deemed by our world to be the bad guys as well as the good guys, need to hear the gospel. I chose Cornelius to make that simple point that even the best people we know, I reckon Cornelius is probably the best person we meet in the New Testament, even he really needs the message of the gospel and for God to grant them repentance and faith in Jesus by his Spirit. Now Cornelius is referred to kind of positively in this story as a God-fearer, not a popular turn of phrase today, I'm not trying to bring it back either. But as you think about that category, there's heaps more kind of God-fearer types all around us still in the world today. Uh, Derek Prime, a guy who I referenced in the Bible study guides for this series, describes the God fearers of today as follows. He says, God fearers recognize that God exists and in some way he's at the center of the world and in control of things. I was at a dinner on mission recently, and some of the latest stats that we have on such things is still that about 65% of our society still believe in a God or a higher power beyond ourselves who is in control. Secondly, God-fearers recognise the value of living a moral life. They almost intuitively distinguish between right and wrong. At one of the RSL funerals uh, I did uh, probably about 18 months ago or so now, I was meeting with the family of one of the World War II uh, vets there who had died and they said to me, Dad wasn't a Christian but he was a very moral man and they sought to convince me that he was right with God little did they know I'd uh, taken my opportunities and gone across and been reading John's gospel with him and I would talked to him as he was preparing for death about you know uh, the story of Jesus um, uh, saying to his disciples I go ahead of you in my father's house there are many rooms and I talked him through the gospel and he said I'd really love you to preach that at my funeral but uh, I'm not I'm not for for, for sort of big things so he got five minutes (laughs) (laughs) Kelly was there uh, hitting the slides on uh, things on Proclaim and I gave it my evangelistic five-minute best. I thought this is wonderful. I've been praying for years for opportunity to present the gospel uh, to the RSL community where the uh, the church uh, that I share some of my time at uh, years. And 10 years later, because old Tom had asked me to preach at his funeral, I had the opportunity to present that to a couple hundred people who I love You know, some of the world's kind of good people, and you'll see why I'm doing air quotes in that if you're listening along. I know the biblical um, sort of thing on that, but as we think about society, it was a wonderful opportunity to proclaim the gospel. I must say I'm pretty excited too. So I'm ad-libbing, by the way. It was really great uh, recently to have our our first sort of RSL service person come to Jesus uh, a few months ago, and uh, regularly uh, part of our church, and has been for a little uh, longer than that. And he rang me the other day and said, "Okay, I'm preaching uh, at." Uh, I'd really like you to preach at my funeral. And there's going to be hundreds of people there from army days and TAFE, and well, you know, man, it's not going to be a very, you know, evangelistic sort of hunting ground for you. But I want you to present. Uh, the gospel to them and he said you know the problem is Matt that people remember you as they first met you and they remember me as being the rat bag of the army corps and he was telling all his stories and you know in a very kind of kind and non-offensive way he dropped the f-bomb about 30 times in the conversation and things like that just to kind of illustrate um, you know the kind of person he was and I said to him I said mate um I said, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I'm actually really excited about preaching at your funeral. Because <laughs> I said, you've just, you've just let me, you know, for all of these people, a few hundred people your age, you've just told me that people remember you how they first met you, and I get the opportunity of explaining the gospel and what that meant to you uh, at the end uh, of your life. I said, mate, don't worry, that'll preach. <laughs> anyway, back to my notes. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Give me a moment. Uh, yes, thirdly, God-fearers look for eternal assurance uh, of, their, uh, uh, of their eternity and want to know uh, that they are living the kind of life that will be rewarded. And fourthly, God-fearers are often characterised by prayer and good works and the stats show that over a third of Australians still pray quite regularly. And behind all of this, of course, many are genuinely seeking God. So enter our kind of capital E, big E evangelists of last week to take their God-given opportunities to proclaim the gospel. But just as importantly, everyday Christians ready to speak of the hope they have in Jesus, of which we've heard uh, some more about today. There's lots of examples of Peter and the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel message in the book of Acts. And they're all quite different. Uh, in different opportunities. This is one of the sort of fuller, opportun- uh, the fuller examples that we have. All have some uh, to teach us. This one's a little bit more expansive. All are faithful to the message. So Peter's message at Cornelius' home was on the sort of more comprehensive end. And as Peter proclaims the gospel, he preaches for only 60 seconds and they're converted from being God-fearers to Christians. That sermon's recorded to us in verses 34 to 43. And Peter has the luxury that we don't have today, that his audience was very familiar with the recent happenings in Israel regarding Jesus' life and death. And you'll note that if you read through the first half of the sermon, he says, you know this, you know that, about what has happened. So I'll try and bring Peter's kind of gospel in 60 seconds, the kind of very comprehensive uh, one we have in the book of Acts, forward almost 2,000 years to try and hit the same points uh, in our generation today. So here goes... If you had someone said, you know, what's, the, what's the, full, the full deal? We don't often get the chance to do this, but here it is anyway. You know the name of Jesus Christ, and that he's undisputably one of the most influential people in history. The Bible claims that he wasn't just a great teacher, but that he was Lord of all the earth, and he brought great news to all people, that we can all have peace with God. The Bible claims that as a man in his early 30s, He was baptised by a bloke named John who had been preparing the people's hearts to turn to God, readying them to hear this message of forgiveness. For three years, Jesus went around doing all kinds of good and displaying the power, his power healing the sick, bringing the dead back to life and releasing people from the power of evil because God was with him. Reliable witnesses saw everything he did and recorded these most important things for us, but the religious people of Jesus' day hated him. They were jealous of the huge crowds that followed him, and he was and at his heart, his claims that he was more than a man, that he was God himself come in the flesh to save us. So they killed him by having him nailed to a cross, but God raised him from the dead, and on the third day, he was seen by hundreds of people. Uh, before large and small groups of like for a number of weeks. He ate and drank with people after he rose from the dead. And before he ascended into heaven, he commanded his followers and all the generations after him, them, myself included, to preach and to testify that Jesus is the one that God has appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. In fact, this was prophesied about in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that he would come. And that everyone who believes in his name will receive the forgiveness of sins in his name alone. Well Peter got no further before the Holy Spirit came on all who heard it. All these God-fearers, these first non-Jews to become Christians, the first of billions from then until now. Now, like the Apostles in Acts, we don't often get to get all of that out in any and every situation. But for us, that in a nutshell is a pretty comprehensive take on the good news message that we've been given by God to proclaim to our world as His church together. To be faithful messengers of the Gospel, we need to know first who needs to hear this message and to be clear on what the message is. And we'll try and draw this all together next week but I'm trying to build a picture for us over these four weeks, first helping us to start by feeling the need of those 1.2 million people in our city that we looked at last week who don't know Jesus. That we would be a church praying to God for our gifted by God evangelists uh, to step forward boldly and for more of those to be raised up amongst us and be brought to us with open doors to proclaim this message at you know, funerals of RSL people and all sorts of different opportunities where we get to do so. And that with them we'd have a whole army of Christians ready to share the hope we have in Jesus through God-given opportunities provided by God and his spirit. That together we'd be clear on who needs to hear the message of the gospel, both our world's good guys as well as the bad guys. And that when opportunities come, we'd be clear on the message of the gospel. Now, next week, I want us to see how God entrusts this gospel message and the mission field to local churches like us and how all of the local church has kind of got that missional kind of shape to it. But to close today, I wanted to have one more go at helping us all to feel the gospel need as we look across the street as we look across the footy club, celebrating in the club rooms after a win. As we look to our friends, our families and our school communities. And one of the ways I've been doing that lately to kind of feel that need and to feel kind of that gospel impetus to speak is to spend some time thinking, actually what is the world without Jesus offering them? And very quickly, you come to a conclusion what our world offers us compared to what Jesus offers us, what the world offers us is so lame in comparison. Take our world's worship of money and when I say worship it's where people look for, for security, to give us freedom, hope for better times. If you think that is where life is at and true security is found, you will never have enough, you will never feel settled and you'll never feel quite safe. Uh, Some of you will be familiar with this story but before becoming a pastor I worked in uh, corporate finance and at a dinner with my clients one night in Port Lincoln, uh, it struck me that as I sat around the table, uh, that around this table of eight, the net worth of the table was over a billion dollars. Now there was a guy worth 700 million which got us off to a fairly good start and for the record I didn't bring much to the tally. (laughs) But the guy who was worth 100 million was jealous of the guy worth 700 million. The guy who was worth 20 million was uh, jealous of uh, the you know, 100 million guy, and so on. But as I kind of sat there about 10 o'clock in the night, just kind of looking back, you know, those kind of moments where the, kind of the room goes a bit quiet and you just feel like you can really see what's going on, I thought, without a shadow of a doubt, I am the happiest guy here. Pretty much all of them despaired at the behaviour of their kids, like most who grow up in extreme wealth, wasn't good. And I knew how much the heart ached of the guy who'd lost his grandson to cancer. He had all the money in the world to fly him around to the most cutting-edge experimental treatments, which in the end, sadly, didn't save him. So all he could do was name his latest boat after him to remember him. Now, it's a pretty nice boat. Two million gets you something pretty sweet. But how lame is that in comparison to what Jesus offers? For the grandson, he could have had eternal life. And for the grandfather, the assurance that his grandson was safe in Jesus' arms. Earlier this term, I kicked off our new life series uh, to help uh, sort of help all the kids in our youth. Uh, share Jesus with their friends but also really importantly as many of them are thinking through their identity and whether they want to take their Christian faith on to be part of their identity as they're into to adults. I thought this is a really important time, I read a few books, prayed, 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 asked the church to pray and I think God was really kind in the way those nights came together and really kind of the theme I ran through the series is I tried to help our teens see the difference between what the world offers them and what Jesus does when it comes to their identity. So take our young girls today, for example. What the world constantly tells them through social media and advertising is to find fulfilment by worshipping their bodies, their beauty and their sexual attractiveness. Which, when you think about it, leaves all but a handful feeling never beautiful enough and attracts just the wrong type of guy to have a relationship with And also says to them, by the way, enjoy it while it lasts and look forward to dying the death of a thousand cuts as you age and your youthful energy and beauty dies day by day. And when you get old, just die quietly, will you, so that the young ones can keep pretending that death won't come. How lame is that? Compared to knowing the enduring worth you are to a God who loves you, who will renew your ageing body and make it fit for eternity one day. And between this day and that great day, a loving God will adorn you with the beauty of good works and godly character and will give you a treasure that will never spoil or fade. When you're honest about it and just chip away a bit at what the world offers us as the path to the good life, just a little, can you feel how lame it is? And I hope that by pointing it out, it may be somewhat of a turning point to help us recover our confidence that the message of the gospel we have by Jesus is good news for all people everywhere in such times. So as you consider the people you know and love, the grandkids you know who don't know Jesus, the friends at school if that's where you are, your neighbours, your friends at the footy, just kind of ponder it for a while to think just how lame it is what the world offers them. And I'd love you to pray for them this week. It's a great initiative, the Prayer for Five, that God in his kindness would provide for them what he did for Cornelius and all his household. A faithful messenger of the gospel of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to bring the words of eternal life. We intentionally lined this series up with Engage Work Faith being here with us today. We intentionally lined it up so there's two immediate ways that you can respond to this call we just long for this church and uh, the whole network and all churches across Adelaide who preach the gospel and of course the world for just that kind of rising up of evangelistic kind of fervor and temperature a sermon series won't do it all um, but it'll help reading a book won't do it all but it'll help coming along to this Engage Work Faith training this Wednesday night at the Marion RSL two weeks later the second part at the Kernelite Gardens RSL bit of a theme going on there uh, but we'd love you know as many people as possible to come along to help us together be challenged and to lift the temperature and be praying for one another to get some practical help in just overcoming that kind of rising social awkwardness of when opportunities are presented having something to say about the words of eternal life we would love to see you there and please come and send me on the stall afterwards as well we'll continue next week but for now i'll close in prayer let's pray together dear heavenly father uh, we thank you so much that you are a god who proactively introduces yourself to people not looking uh, for you uh, by uh, your faithful messengers your church across time and across the world. Uh, Lord, we pray for many spirit-given opportunities, uh, for uh, us to have the great joy and the blessing of meeting people that uh, you are preparing in their hearts by your spirit to hear the very words of eternal life and to respond in repentance and faith. Lord, we ask, we realise that you don't uh, need this church or the Trinity Network, or anything to accomplish your plans in this world. But Lord, we want to say we're here, we love you, and we want the blessing of uh, participating with you in the work that you are doing in the world as the gospel of Jesus uh, goes forth. Uh, Please help us not uh, to become cold and timid and fearful in such times, but please give us a humble confidence in who you are and your power and that this is your mission as your son Jesus builds your church here on earth by the power of your spirit. Please include us to our great blessing and encouragement in the work you are doing in this world. It's by Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.